you can compose a quote-unquote creed that affirms your fundamental beliefs, but if there isn't some moral authority behind it, then it's it's just words. We feel the need, the need for creeds. Sink your teeth into scripture and get a bulldog grip on its truth. Listen on some doctrine and get bulldogmatic. Here is your host. That constant message, Jesus is going to be here before next week, promotes a lack of planning for the future, a lack of planning for the future of the church. Mm -hmm. Okay, but what if he doesn't come next week? What are we going to do in the meantime? Uh, so, so I think we have those creeds that remind us, hey, yeah, he's coming. But when he comes, we're going to give an account for the way we've lived. Mm-hmm. You better be mindful of how you're living. Uh, uh, but in the meantime, there's the joy of forgiveness. There's going into the world with the gospel. I mean, it's just a whole host of things. Exactly. The creeds remind us that there's more to the Christian life than just the salvation in Christ's return. That kind of reminds me of a quote I heard uh, from Martin Luther, and I think I've heard you quote it before, something about, um, I'll probably misquote him, but it's, I, I believe it goes along the lines of, if I knew Christ was coming today, I would still plant right. my apple tree. Right, yeah. So in other words, we we continue on with our, our yeah. lives. We live our lives. God calls us to do Right. We live our lives. Uh, can, can we get down to something that is so, one of the, again, one of those things that's over, overlooked, okay? Jesus says, be ready at any time, but you don't know when I'm coming. And then Paul says, be anxious for nothing, which would include when the Lord is coming. Right. So we're not supposed to be wringing our hands, oh, I hope he gets here today. That's a contradiction of Scripture. Right. We're living out the, the faith until it shows up. Right. And how can we do that? We have to have a bigger picture of what we believe exactly. and how it applies to our lives. And where can we start? With the creeds and confessions. Exactly. Again, they, and again, we, for, those who, for those who would object, well, I got the Bible. Yeah, but you don't go just by the Bible. Uh, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but I seem to be good at it. There is... No scriptural basis for the belief that the rebirth of Israel as an earthly nation is a fulfillment of a passage in Matthew 24 where it says, when the fig tree buds. There's no way to make that. That is, if you say, oh, I believe that, you are making a creedal assertion on the basis of a verse. You're doing the very thing you say you don't believe should be done. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and so uh, we just lost half our viewership. But well, probably, <laughs> probably. <laughs> come back, come back. Hey, you need to hear uh, the rest. It is, though, it is, it, it proves the sovereignty of God and how he has preserved the Jewish people right. throughout the ages, which, of course, he promised uh, Right. Right. That he would do. Yeah. So, so, you, you, but, but, the, but the overall point is the person who says, I don't believe in creeds, but believes that about the rebirth of Israel is, yeah. is, is affirming 
a creedal perspective, you see. So then you then you cannot reject creedal perspectives. You can't say, well, we don't need creeds because you've just created one right. on that subject. And that's that's kind of the point, the irony, the irony of it. Well, Dr. Truman, uh, his next point is that creeds offer succinct and thorough summaries of the faith. Is there anything else that summarizes uh, the faith that Christians have more than the creeds. Do. I, I I can't. Well, I, I can't think I, of anything yeah, that comes close. We don't want to. We don't want to pretend that we're infallible either. But when you look at the creeds and everything they touch on, they it begins with Genesis. Uh, I believe in God the Father Almighty, Creator mm-hmm. of heaven and earth. So we're in Genesis. Uh, you you skip down then to the Gospels with Christ, right? Uh, you go from the his, Gospels to his resurrection, his second coming, mm-hmm. uh, his 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 being ascended to the Father in heaven. Then you go to the the remaining parts of of from there he will come to judge the living and the dead. So now we're mm-hmm. now we're down to Revelation. Right. Uh, in between you have the communion of saints, the forgiveness. Of, I mean, you know, I I don't know how you would. I don't know how you would encapsulate it. Well, somebody said, well, you left out a whole great big portion of the Old Testament. Yeah, but Jesus said the Old Testament's pointed Pointed to him. Mm -hmm. So when I come to the part of the creed where I have him, so I'm getting long-winded here, but no, I I can't think of something that would encapsulate it so, so sufficiently and precisely as the apostles or the Nicene Creed. And by the way, when we come to that, let us pause and recognize that, that again, this was the outcome of many, many, many gifted men of God setting together and saying, let us figure out how to express what we believe so that the people of God can recite this. Mm -hmm. And so it's not just me and you in the 21st century saying we think this works. It's Again, you're talking about 1,700 years of creedal affirmation that these are the fundamentals. So, no, I can't think of any any way to better encapsulate um, the truth. And you've you've hit right on what he was talking about before. Uh, I mean, next, which is uh, the longevity of the creeds that that they've been passed down through history. Um, is it? Is it likely for a church to get sidetracked uh, by issues like you were just talking about with the the verse in Matthew and, and Israel? Is it likely for a church that adheres to uh, creeds to get sidetracked by things like that? Uh, no, it's it's less likely that they will get sidetracked. It's it, possible. It's possible. Course, but... Yeah, it's possible. Uh, it, it is possible. But I want to say, and I could be, I could be in, in a, I could be off base here. But, but I want to say that again, that if a church gets away from those fundamentals, it is because we've downplayed one of them somewhere. Mm-hmm. We have elevated personal experience. I have had an experience with God that nobody's ever had. Therefore, I'm better qualified to lead us forward. Now wait a minute. We're we're now following a man instead of the Word of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yes, it is it is possible that they could get off 
but I, I think it's less likely. I, I think the greater danger, going back again to what you said earlier, is that it becomes just a ritual. The recitation of the creed becomes just a ritual. Mm-hmm. That is a greater danger than us getting off. Uh, that, that to me seems to be the greater danger. Mm-hmm. Because if I'm affirming the creeds, I'm going to want to stay. I'm going to come to the pulpit as a pastor and I'm going to say, okay, well, I've got to stay within this boundary. I've got to stay within this boundary. Mm-hmm. And and so we encourage people to have an expectation of Christ's return, but we do not encourage them to get into the endless debate about premillennial, amillennial, postmillennial that just goes on and on. Mm-hmm. And I've read books on all three subjects and I'm coming I come away with, well, that sounds right. So I read this book, well, that sounds That's right. It. So let's stay focused on he's coming. Right. He's coming. On, on the points which all three agree on. Right. Those are the points that we need to yeah. focus on. Right. He's coming. He's, He's coming. coming. Again. Amen. Um, well, the creeds themselves, they, they focus on the on what would be, we would call maybe the main, uh, the important uh, doctrinal points of the Bible. Right. Is, that not, is that a fair statement? That's a very fair statement. And again, that helps us stay true. Now, where... Where does the expansion of confessions come in is when somebody asks a question. We believe in God the Father Almighty. Um, and, and, you know, I'm off I'm trying to recite two creeds at once here, but somebody asks a question about, okay, why does that say that? Then we would need to unpack uh, Jesus exalted right hand of the Father. Then, then somebody says, well, I, I don't, I'm not going to know where that comes from. Then we get into the scriptures that say he, he was ascended to the right hand of the mm-hmm. Father. And you unpack those a little bit further. But, um, Well, he, he goes on and he, he talks about the succinctness of creeds or the uh, how compact they are, I guess. And, of course, we look at some confessions like the Westminster Confession and the Heidelberg uh, catechisms and things. Some of them are very lengthy. Of course, the Apostles' Creed, uh, uh, creed is probably one of the more uh, compact right. uh, of the creeds. Um, he, Dr. Truman makes a statement. I want you to comment on it. it. says, Today we have the woeful influence of things like Wikipedia in leading some to think that all important knowledge can be swiftly grasped in short sentences and after a few minutes of uh, cursory reading. Uh, do you agree with that? And uh, why is that important when we're talking about creeds? Well, it is true. And, and now there's a, there's a double-edged sword here. So bre- brevity is not necessarily bad, as you pointed out with the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' mm-hmm. Creed is very brief compared to the Nicene Creed or the Athanasian Creed. We don't right. go down there. So... so t- t- 1,800 years ago, they thought brevity was important in its proper place. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, but what we do have today is nobody wants to really look at a subject in depth. They just want to hear the, the, the headline. Right. And, and many of us, and I've been guilty, I'm sure you've heard, you've done it or you've heard somebody else do it. Did you hear? And they, and they recite the headline. And if you go and read the story... It's completely different case. Right. Mm-hmm. So we do have this problem of just fixating on the briefest, shortest statement possible. 
and not unpacking it more fully. So, yes, we should not, you know, we, we the old joke, we don't want to be long-winded, overly long-winded, but neither do we want to leave out something that's that's important. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we want to make sure that we try to bridge the gap there. Well, I'm, I'm as guilty as anyone else, I guess, of scrolling through social media and things. Do you think um, an unfortunate byproduct of that is a lot of times important doctrines are reduced down to a silly meme? Is yeah. that how you pronounce it? Yeah, I, I, do, I do agree with that very much. And people will, will you know, you take a verse... They'll make a meme, they'll post it, but they are totally misrepresenting the context of the passage. Mm-hmm. They're leaving out great big sections of it. And that is not, by the way, that's not a new, uh, we can't blame the social media for that. Years, Decades ago now, they had the, the uh, of course, they started coming out with the Precious Promise Bible. Right. Where you had all these promises under a particular heading, you know, and you could just flip through and read that verse by itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and going back to the Jeremiah passage, I know the plans I have for you to give you a future and hope. But nobody observes that he's talking to captives in a foreign land. Mm-hmm. And he says, you're going to be there for another 70 years, which means many of them are going to die in captivity. Right. Doesn't sound like a that, good plan to me, God. No. So, you know, but then, there, believe it or not, there was once a a Bible that came out. I don't think it got much traction, thankfully. But it was, it, was, it had certain words in bold print so that you were only supposed to read the bold print words and you could read through the Bible in like a week. Mm. It was just bogus. Uh that's a more extreme thing, but it does prove that it isn't just the social media. We are, we just gravitate to that. Right. Social media is the latest example mm-hmm. of how we gravitate towards the shallow, the brief, the superficial, when we need much more depth and substance. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess it's, uh, you're exactly right, because I can think of back to me reading newspapers and a lot of times I'd just read the headlines. I wouldn't right. take the time to read the entire article and skip through and go on to the sports section right. or, or the comics or yeah. you know, something important. Yeah. Well, um, and if the headline caught your eye, you might read a paragraph or two, but, yeah. uh, but, but, but that's what we are. We're just, <laughs> nobody likes this, but we are, there is a sense in which the human race is lazy. Yeah. You know, we, we don't want to apply to the important things of life. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is why it's good to have a series on Leviticus. That, right. uh, you're going through that yeah. now, and uh, what a blessing. Would would a church want a uh, confession of faith or a creed that didn't mention important uh, doctrines like the, uh, the divinity of, of Christ or justification by faith or the Trinity, or, or things like that. No, because because here's what would happen: you would have you could have a creed that had some kind of affirmation of your social mission, okay? But you would have no teeth upon which to base that mm-hmm. emphasis. Right. If I don't have a belief in God, there is no purpose for me to do anything. This is the disconnect in many churches who've 
gotten into the social gospel and their mission statement, their creeds become, um, I think there's even, Doug Wilson, I think, had a post about uh, the Sparkle Creed, which is some kind of creed that's been developed for the LGBTQ religious community. Without, and it, and it talks about inclusion, and et cetera, but without some moral authority behind it, if you take God out of the creed, why should I believe in the rest of it? That's right. There, the, the, so, so yeah, you can you can compose a quote unquote creed that affirms your fundamental beliefs and your your mission in life, but if there isn't some moral authority behind it, then it's it's just words. Right. It's just words. Just words. Well. T- uh a perfect seg- segue into the next. He talks about creeds allow for appropriate discrimination between members and office bearers. And we'll talk about discrimination a little bit too uh, later on. But should lay people, we t- you touched on this, should lay people and in, in the officers of the church be required the same uh, particulars to, to hold to a creed? Right. Right. Uh, I think in the same manner. I think I he's. I think he's. He's made a very good point there. I cannot make anyone believe something. Okay. Right. But I can require that ministers do believe something. Okay. Right. If you're going to be a minister, a councilman, a an elder, a trustee, a treasurer, then there are going to be some beliefs you have to affirm. Mm-hmm. Uh, this person over here said, well, i got some questions about that. Okay, well, then that's fine. I respect your perspective. But you could not be a leader in this church without affirming that, 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 that functional, fundamental concept. Okay? Uh, obviously, the goal of your attending this church, and my goal as your pastor, is to help you come to a place where you do believe those things. Right. And I'm going to teach from the pulpit in a way that that you will believe it by your own full free volition. I see now this is the truth and I'm going to believe it. But to help me move you to that goal, I need other people who affirm the same things. Mm-hmm. And that's where you get into the difference. So when a person, so here's the way I would structure it. You have non-members who aren't required to hold to any particular belief. You just like coming to this church because the music and the preaching's good mm-hmm. and we're a loving congregation, okay. To become a member of the church, then you have to step up a little bit and say, okay, yes, I affirm these things. Mm-hmm. But then to become a leader in the church, you have to step up even higher and say, absolutely, this is this is true, okay? So for example, and I would use this as, as example. So a non-member, I have nothing to say to that person about the use of alcohol, except that God says you're not to use it to excess. Okay. To a member, I can say, all right, we're not going to tell you whether you can or cannot drink, but we will expect you to not be always falling down drunk as a member of this church. Then I could step up to the next deal and say, okay, as a leader in the church, you must be vocal in expressing that balance. I'm not saying you can't drink, but you're going to have to be very vocal to make sure you don't fall guilty to that 
to drunkenness, nor are you encouraging drunkenness. Right. And it, whereas this member or this non-member who attends may not see that. Okay. Uh, again, that's a practice and not a fundamental belief necessarily, but but that's the way I would I would phrase it. The, the leaders have to affirm something a little more stronger than the the average person. Um, than the average member. Yeah, the average member. member. Average so church. so. Uh, a non-member, but let me throw out another example, predestination. A non-member doesn't have to have an opinion on it, okay? Mm-hmm. The member has to recognize the church affirms a particular view about predestination. Mm-hmm. They don't have to agree with it, but right. you, have to, you have to affirm that this church believes it this way, okay? Mm-hmm. The leader has to say, I believe this about predestination. So when you do that, that prevents any trouble or, or right. where it should. It sets those boundaries in right. place. Yeah, it does. So. And, it, and, the, and the person coming in then uh, can say, I don't agree with predestination, but that's what this church teaches. You, you then have an understanding that I hope would not, that people would not then go about, set out to undermine the teaching of the church. They have that. They have that coming in. This is what the church believes. You know, we have on our website about our church's position on homosexuality. We don't want you coming into the church and then find out where we are. We, we, uh, we believe that homosexuality is a broken lifestyle that is incompatible with God's design. Mm-hmm. We don't want you to come to church for six months and then find out oh, they believe that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's that same kind of thing. There should be some basis upon which the leadership is is more is stronger in its convictions about certain beliefs than than others. Well, Doctor Truman he points to the qualifications of, of teachers in First Timothy, chapter one, verses one through seven. I'll read that really quick quickly. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. And Dr. Truman says, the careful communication of the faith in a manner that focuses on the straightforward teaching of the gospel we see in this uh, verse, and also maturity and discernment uh, in there. So um, he he also says to make sure that the ambition is to teach, not to be a teacher, which uh, I'll read that verse again. This is desiring to be teachers of the law. Now, what's the difference between desiring to teach 
or designed just to be a teacher? Okay, well, the, the, the simplest way I would say it is that one person is looking to, to serve God faithfully and the other is looking for a title. Okay. okay. The one who says, I want to be a teacher is looking for recognition from human beings. The one who's able to teach is always dependent upon God for his, for, for, to, for, to, to allow him to be faithful to the call of God. Okay. And, and, uh, and uh, this does not mean that we cannot call someone a teacher because Paul says in Ephesians, God gave some pastors and teachers. Right. Uh, we, we, there's nothing wrong with calling a person a teacher. What Paul is dealing with in that passage is ambitions and how wrong ambitions so that the person wants to be recognized as a teacher but isn't really worried about the quality or substance of what he's teaching. Mm-hmm. It's a similar warning that you find there in James chapter 3 where James says, don't let many of you become teachers knowing we shall give a, a, a more severe accounting right. for how we've lived. So that, that's the distinction. This person is looking to be in a role of authority for authority's sake rather than as a faithful steward of God's call on their life. Right. Yeah. So that authority that they're, uh, that is given to someone, they need to be competent in their teaching uh, uh, rather than just seeking right. to, just to the teach. Position. Yeah. The, and, and by the way, that, and that applies to... That applies not just to teaching, which is the goal, which is the focus here, but but we've had this experience with musicians. They don't want to help the church; they want to be in the spotlight. Mm-hmm. Uh, and any number of other situations, like where the person is not, they they want the title, they want the recognition, but they don't want the responsibility, mm-hmm. they don't want the accountability. And that just shows that they're really not focused on God and His glory. They're focused, focused on, on their, their own glory. title. Yeah. And their glory. Yeah. Um, so the, the, if the teachers are to be uh, competent, that's their qualifications. That means that a teacher needs to, to have a little bit required of them than an ordinary member in the church. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you get uh, you're you're up you're up another scale is now. which you talked about before. Right. So they need to adhere to more of the like you were talking yeah, about. Yeah. Yeah, they need they need to be able to say, "Yes, I've examined the scripture and I can affirm that this is what I believe." Mm-hmm. Uh, so that would prevent somebody coming in, like you know, teaching praetorism and uh, one week, and then Calvinism right. the next, yeah. and and every whim, whatever every, strikes his fancy. Right, exactly. Uh, there was something. I, of course, I'll, it's gone now. But but uh, uh, well, no, I was going to say with with respect to this, because people say, well, what about? Uh, members hope being, or I mean, leaders being held to a higher standard. I also say this about members. I believe what happened with a lot of the churches, the Methodists, the Lutherans, the Episcopalians, they allowed their their members to to go off on the beliefs that were wrong, and then being in positions as members, they had the authority to vote in business meetings. And the next thing you know, the whole denomination is voted mm-hmm. to abandon the Word of God. Yeah. Uh, so if our, if we step it up, so when you become a member, you're saying you believe this. And in our membership pledge, if you'll remember, it says, I will not 
use my membership rights to undermine the church's commitment to the authority and inerrancy of Scripture. That's where you got to start. And if, and, a, and if a person starts doing that, wait a minute, you pledge not to do that, you can't hold a, a leadership, a membership position. But then you go to the leader and you say the same thing. You can't, because I, I'm convinced that's what happened, mm-hmm. that people who or didn't believe were given the rights of membership and then the rights of leadership. And then they use those rights to turn the church away from the Word of God on issues like uh, the homosexual homosexuality. Mm-hmm. And there, there, there are also teachers that are teaching, like Sunday school classes. I've been in uh, Sunday school classes and listened to teachers that I don't think really are qualified to, right. to be teaching what they're what they're teaching and unfortunately that probably stems from um the willingness of people to teach um yeah i would agree with that to a point what the other point is it goes back to the idea of church growth mm-hmm. we have to get people in and we have to teach the people and we need people to teach them would you teach this class right you're not qualified to do it but we need somebody to do it mm-hmm. And instead of saying, okay, let's regroup over here and let's find a different program so that we don't have to keep finding unqualified people to serve in very important roles. That is anathema today right. because we have uh, we have 25 Sunday school classes, and we don't obviously, but many churches do. We have 25 Sunday school classes, but we only have qualified teachers for 15 of them. But we're going to go ahead and keep teaching them. We're going to get them to do it for six months at a time or a year at a time. And yes, I do know what I'm talking about because we tried that here with Children's Church. We want to have something for the kids during adult because they can't they can't relate to what we're doing. So we need to have some kind of program. And we get anybody and everybody could do it. And some of the people doing Children's Church were actually contradicting the pastor and the messages mm-hmm. from the pulpit. Wow. So so you can see that 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 we want to do this. And we've got to have somebody to help, so we're going to grab anybody. And you, you, and you have both. You have the people who want to be who aren't qualified. And, and let us say this, be very gracious, because what I've seen sometimes is that person is gifted in this area. That's what they ought to be doing. Mm-hmm. They think they're gifted in this area. They're not. Right. Somebody's got to be bold enough to say, okay, this is not for you. You yeah. should be working on that. To be continued. We will continue this conversation in the next episode. And it keeps getting more and more interesting. Be sure to like and share this with your friends, and be sure to subscribe to our channel. Thanks for listening.